Hey, you're listening to an Upbeat Rewind featuring Paul Edwards on July 15th, 2019. Paul is an international best-selling author, host of the Influencer Networking Secrets podcast, speaker, entrepreneur, and former professional bodybuilder. And in this episode, we talk about his journey, his book, and his unique perspectives on a variety of different motivational and extremely uplifting topics. So be prepared to take some notes because Paul provides an immense amount of value in this episode of Upbeat, and it will deeply impact your life. You're listening to an Upbeat Rewind featuring Paul Edwards. This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker K. Oh, thank you very much for being on the show with me. I appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, Parker. Thanks for having me. Of course. Could you just briefly tell the listeners who you are and what it is you do? Well, sure. I'm an international best-selling author. My book is called Business Beyond Business, and it's how to gain magnetic influence, meaningful connection, and profitable publicity by becoming a radically generous entrepreneur. I'm also the host of the Influencer Networking Secrets podcast, and I am an entrepreneur coach and a uh, builder of strategic partnerships. Um, So I connect uh, my target client, which is the radically generous entrepreneur, with elders and peers and potential clients who challenge them and help them grow. Wow. That's awesome. And that was funny when you said builder, because I've done some research of, and I, I saw that you are also a bodybuilder. <laughs> and when you said builder, yes. I thought you were going to say builder of your body. <laughs> builder of my body. Yes, I do that too. That's my, that's my hobby and my, uh, my spare, uh, how I spend the majority of my spare time. That's so cool. Well, I definitely want to touch on all of those things, uh, but I like to start at the beginning. So, could you just kind of briefly take us childhood to now, like what was little Paul Edwards like as opposed to who you are now? Well, I, uh, my origins actually lie um, longitudinally similar to where you are now. I was born in Alberta, Canada, um, and uh, I lived there in the 1980s. I was born in 1980, right when Wayne Gretzky got his start with the Edmonton Oilers, in, and I was in Edmonton. That's my hometown. And uh, when he left to come to Los Angeles in 1988, we also emigrated to the United States to Los Angeles in 1988. Uh, Just a curious coincidence, I suppose you could say, because we weren't part of his entourage, but we made the same move at the same time. And hockey naturally followed with us. And I uh, spent much of my youth playing roller hockey in Los Angeles. From from there, I grew up in Southern California. Um, graduated high school from Arcadia High School there, uh, just outside of Pasadena. And uh, then as a young man, I traveled abroad to London, England, uh, lived there for a little while, and then uh, joined the United States military right on the eve of the invasion of Iraq Oh wow! in uh, early 2003, and uh, served five and a half years on active duty, um, met my wife, early on in my enlistment, and we got married when I was 25 in Germany. Then uh, I got orders to come to Joint Base Lewis-McChord out here in Washington near Tacoma. And so that's where we've been for the last 14 years now. I finished out my time in the military, went to Pacific Lutheran University and got a degree in communications, then did a a six-year stint in the insurance business here in the city of Olympia, the capital of the state, which is where I've lived for the last 14 years. Um, That came to an end about uh, this time last year, 
June, actually, and I uh, jumped into online entrepreneurship as a coach and speaker and podcast host and author. So that's the, I guess, the condensed version of it. Um, there's more to say, obviously, on that, but uh, I'll, I'll pass the talking stick back to you for the moment. <laughs> Thanks. Well, first of all, thank you for your service. That's awesome to hear about. Oh, my pleasure. And then what was it after your insurance stint, like switching into online entrepreneurship and podcasting and writing books? Like what what kind of was that journey like? You know, I think um, the, the hard part for me was uh, I had this old fashioned sense of responsibility and duty and I didn't. I, I held on for quite a while. Um, I like to joke that God kind of had to force me out of the out of the business by getting me fired and drying up all of my sales because I was by this time I was a hundred percent referral based business. So I had cultivated a huge network and created a culture of my own here in Olympia and had several loyal fans who referred me business, you know, pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the last six months that I was with the the company I was with, I couldn't sell anything. I mean, I I got plenty of leads like I always did and I worked them like I always did, but I just couldn't make anything happen left, right or center. And uh, at the same time, my life was being influenced in a very different direction um, because I went through a period of uh, huge physical transformation. And I tell people all the time, if you want to make a big change in your life, the easiest place to start actually is your body because it's the most responsive to basic chemical and physiological changes you can make in your life. Um, So if you want to ultimately end up changing your soul and your spirit and your and your mindset one of the best places to do that to begin the work is by going through a physical transformation but anyway the short version of that long story is that the the person who was coaching me through my physical transformation also was um it, it was and still is coaching people into creating their own online businesses the coach's name is Vince Del Monte I was listening to his podcast as I would do my workouts. And he also talked about um, entrepreneurship and maximizing your income and, um, you know, and and using your gifts and talents. And I had always had a a gift and a talent for being on stage and speaking and writing. And, you know, I did, I did drama and high school and choir and TV production all through high school. I wasn't an athlete. I was a, I was a performance performing arts type of guy. And then I, you know, got the communications degree and I had wanted to go into radio uh, and and be uh, in some form of speaking and influencing people. So this profound influence that, uh, that Vince was having on me led me to believe that it was the time had come for me to stop being a slave to the grind and, uh, and start my own thing and see, you know, what I was really capable of a few podcasts too many. And I sort of took the leap and began writing a book. And I've been a gifted writer my whole life. So writing a book didn't take very long for me to bash out a basic uh, manuscript. That book was actually the first version of what is now my international best-selling book. So the Business Beyond Business is a remake to a certain extent with a whole bunch of new meat on the bones of my original first book. And was the first book the 10 Secrets one? Correct. 10 Secrets to Networking Success. Yes. Okay. Business Beyond Business. uh, That is just a much more in-depth of the 10 Secrets one? Well, what I would say is 
um, I went, I spent a lot more time, money and thought on the, the second version of it. Um, partially because I decided to not try to do it on a shoestring this time. Um, I decided I wanted coaching and help in producing and preparing and publishing and all of that. I didn't want to try and figure it out on, on the cheap. And so I invested with uh, bestseller publishing out of Los Angeles. Uh, my coach there is Rob Kosberg. And what, what I've worked through there is not just improving the book, but also developing an entire media and PR strategy. And so that's part of the reason that I've been, you know, looking to appear on more podcasts lately is just to give people an opportunity to hear me speak, hear what I'm about. And then they, that helps them make a, uh, it helps them a little bit to make a decision of whether or not they want to look into uh, reading my book and learning more. That's it, it's a, it's just a much more politely aggressive strategy this time in terms of actually getting the book out there and into the hands of the marketplace so they can find out what I'm about and, and go from there. Awesome. Well, it's definitely captivating. Like it captures your interest really quick. Just even the title, like the magnetic influence, meaningful connection, profitable publicity. And then what I love the most about the title, just because I think it's so interesting and I've never heard it worded this way, but radically generous entrepreneur, um, mm. becoming that where, like, where did those three words come from? What inspired that? A lot of that comes from my background as an evangelical Christian of 17 years. Um, we discuss all the time, in, especially in the Pentecostal evangelical churches, about, uh, you know, sowing seeds of radical generosity. And what I've noticed is um, that people who especially in the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying, I'm not limiting this to them. There are plenty of people I know who are not, uh, who may be just nominally Christian or not even believers in, in Jesus Christ, who nevertheless understand instinctively or through experience that um, you cannot outgive or outproduce the return on generosity. Uh, and, and Success Magazine has written about this. As a matter of fact, um, in pitching my uh, appearances to a lot of different media outlets, I assembled an entire piece based on the radical generosity of three very disparate kind of figures. And one of them was a fictional movie character. But anyway, um, to, to answer the question, the radically generous entrepreneur is something that has its roots in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Um, and, and, and a lot of people hear it and they think, oh, a guy who writes enormous checks to, you know, Habitat for Humanity or something like that. Well, there, there, there may be people like that who fit the profile, but that's not what it means. Um, and as you, as you go on to read the book, each chapter will, will take you into a quality of these people, six or seven different qualities or habits of these people. Most of them have very little to do with writing, you know, enormous philanthropic checks. In fact, several of them can be done for next to nothing. And the whole point that I'm trying to make there is radically generous entrepreneurs exist all across the spectrum of income levels. They can be startups or they can be Fortune 100 CEOs. Um, you know, it just, it's, it's a matter of the heart and the character of the individual person. Okay. So would you say it's safe to say rather than being someone who, um, is expecting money, it's more about being someone who could serve and provide value to other people? Correct. 
um, these people understand an instinctive law that is built into our existence. They understand that in order to truly and uh, honestly earn any amount of money, what you should really do is provide the same amount of service to your fellow man. Mm-hmm. Right. In other words, if you want to earn a million dollars, then provide a million dollars worth of service. I like and, that. And, and what that means, Parker, is when you are out in your day to day activities as a business person, the number one thing that you can do above all the other things you could do is be a constant advocate and uh, supporter and uh, in some cases protector. Um, an information gatherer for your fellow man rather than for yourself. Um, because what happens is over time, as you build that account up with people, as you repeatedly recommend them, rate, you do a rave review for them, endorse them, uh, refer them, uh, promote them, talk about them, interview them, connect them with people, invite them to think, et cetera, et cetera. It brings you to a point where it is very, very difficult for them to say no to you or to not think of you when they themselves or someone that they know or someone that they love and care about needs your services. Um, it, it just automatically ranks you very, very high on their priority list and very, very, uh, and very, very much at the front, a forefront of their mind. I like that a lot. So, and kind of the visual I got on that was LinkedIn. Right. Just the fact that there are the endorsing options rather than Mm -hmm. being someone who's like, hey, endorse me, endorse me, endorse me. It's just getting out there, being involved, endorsing other people, collaborating. Correct. Um, And and be be careful a little bit with that, because what the danger is endorsing people that you don't really know whether or not they do a good job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I always tell people. Make sure you do that when you've actually observed these people in action. But by all means, anybody that you know uh, in your list of connections um, where there's an opportunity to do that, it's almost like a, 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 I don't want to call it a domino effect, but by doing that, you set off a chain reaction in the universe that will come back to you from an unexpected location. So, you know, for example, if you're, when I was in the insurance business, one way I did this was I would be sitting there. I volunteered for the local uh, Miss America pageant, and I was on the board of the local uh, pageant as the fundraising chair. So I would be sitting there in my office thinking about how to raise funds for the next scholarship pageant so that the winner uh, would get the full amount that we promised. And we could also attract sponsors and uh, make the, the, the pageant profitable. And I would be sitting there working on that. It's totally unrelated to insurance, you know, um, and my phone would just ring and it would be people saying, hi, I was referred to you by so-and-so and hi, I, I need to quote for insurance. And, and, and I wasn't advertising. I wasn't out networking. I wasn't, you know, going to visit loan officers, begging for referrals, nothing, none of that. I was just sitting there with other people's welfare and, and prosperity and future on my mind. Mm-hmm. And I found it rebounding to me. This is really cool. So overall, what would you say inspired you to write your book? Again, I, I had all this experience in insurance 
uh, in the insurance roles that I was in. And and what you'll find, Parker, if you read the chapters, is I started out as awkward and incompetent and bumbling as anybody. You know, I, I, I write that my, my early years in insurance were just like being uh, Ned Ryerson from the movie Groundhog Day, if you've ever seen it. He's a bit of a caricature, but it, I was still being a, a pushy salesman trying to get people to buy and not understanding that the, the main reason we occupy the roles we do is to serve our fellow man, not to sell to them, right? They call it a sales role. It really should be a service role, but then you get it confused with customer service, which, so I understand the importance of labeling it as sales. But the reality is, if you're going to make sales to the kind of customer you really want to attract, and let's face it, everybody is, is getting wise about the need to uh, to define and narrow and uh, focus in like a laser beam on their ideal client, then you can't be a traditional salesman just making a thousand phone calls to nobody, right? You've got to be very focused and uh, intentional about adding as much value as you can to your target client and then reaping the benefits of that as you do it. Well, um, I got so practiced and routine at this that it began to parlay into opportunities to deal with with larger um, insurance clients. And I became so adept and I had such a quick memory for what people told me that they were struggling with or that they were looking for or who they were hoping to meet that I would walk into, you know, networking groups, chamber of commerce meetings, et cetera, et cetera. And I would see person A over on the right side of the room and person B over on the left side of the room. And I would instantly make the connection and make the introduction. And and I was spearheading this. And I then I started creating a culture. I created my own uh, game of Texas Hold'em with cigars at this local place. It's a cigar shop and they have a, a lounge out back where you can go and play uh, ga- games of cards over tables. So, we do, we've been, we're still doing it to this day. We have this monthly game and the guys come up and they just, you know, they buy in for 20 bucks and it's a friendly game. And, and what happened as I kept doing this was I started to, hear, you know, out of the corner of my ear, I'd hear one man saying to the other, Hey, I need, I need you to come and help me with this thing. You know, and they were, they were transacting business over the poker table. Then I had never promoted it as a networking group, nothing like that, but I was facilitating business interaction. And so these, some of these guys came to say, you know, I just wouldn't miss this game for anything because something good always happens when I go there. Even if I lose all my money in the poker game, I end up, you know, I get a new client or I get a recommendation or, you know, something like that. So I see all this happening, right? And I start networking with, you know, influential people and I get, I become the insurance agent to several prominent politicians and, you know, recognizable names within the Olympia area. And I start getting invited to fundraisers and appearing at uh, and all these things where everybody else who does what I do, all my, all my insurance competitors are nowhere to be found. You know, they wouldn't even know how, they wouldn't even know the event was happening, much less how to get invited to it. But I got invited to it. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is not just by accident. There's something I'm doing very consistently here. And, and I'm not even really aware that I'm doing it. I'm just doing it because that's who I am. And that's how, you know, that's the, the background that I come from. And I realized I, if, if I could put words to this and begin to teach people how to do it, it would be just like any other online information product that you get offered these days, except in this case, you know, most of them will, will either help you make more money or have um, better relationships or uh, have better fitness. Right. 
And I, I don't really focus on the fitness side, but this one combines them into both because what you end up doing is you end up having to be, not only adopt um, a very pro-business attitude and be in business in order for this to work, but you also have to become the kind of person who could be described as a radically generous entrepreneur. And so it, it, the change occurs from the inside out because of the habits that you take on. You just start to become a very genuine, generous, long-suffering, good type of person um, when you take these habits on. And 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 really, I mean, if you, if you're gonna if you're gonna talk about the long-range purpose of being a believer in Jesus, that's what he's looking for. That's what he's telling. You know, you read the Beatitudes. That's what he's telling everybody. Look, don't just not kill people. You know, don't even harbor envy or resentment or hatred for them in your heart. Harbor love for them in your heart, even when they mistreat you, even when they don't care about you or speak bad about you or are are not kind in return. And that's what I'm that's what we're really after. So it's I guess you could say there's there's sort of a an impulse of, of eternity in the kingdom there that that uh, was driving all of that. And I said, you know, believe it or not, more people, if more people knew this, understood it and behaved like it. Um, then in some small way, I have an opportunity to, to leave this world a better place than I found it. That's so cool. And this is kind of cool too. So would you say your message then isn't just for like business owners and, and, and entrepreneurs, but it's really uh, applicable for everyone? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You can do this if you are a government bureaucrat. You can do this if you are an elected official. You can do this if you're the executive director of a nonprofit. You can do this if you are um, a, a stay-at-home parent. You just need to take the principles that I've outlined and apply them in context to where you are. I will say, because I write from the perspective of, a, of someone who has been in the business of personal relationships mm -hmm. for a long time, that this is going to be, there are some businesses for which this is going to be naturally more adaptable than others. But I have also observed that even if you are in a business that is very removed from the whole, you know, business networking scene, you don't get out much, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what is equally true is that whether you're serving in a nonprofit or you're an elected official, especially if you're an elected official, my goodness. But even if you're in a bureaucracy, um, if you're serving deep inside the cogs of a corporate machine, no matter where you go, the only person that is common to all of your relationships is you. And so if you are having trouble in your marriage and trouble with your coworkers and trouble on your volunteer organization and trouble on your sports team, whatever, these tactics will begin to turn the tide for you, just like they did for me, you know, because I was that person when I was younger, uh, younger than you. I, I, it didn't matter where I went. I had people problems. I didn't know how to talk to them. I didn't know. And, and, and not for lack of interest, not because I was a shy, introverted and retiring. It was because I, I was an extrovert who didn't know how to talk to people. And so I was constantly putting my foot in my mouth, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but, but I've learned all this. I learned it from a mentor and now it, you know, it's just, it's my turn to, to be the mentor. Really awesome. I aspire to get there someday. How, how much of what you do, do you think is like God given and like something that you just naturally had versus things that you've researched and studied and really invested a lot into learning? 
The way that I see this working together, Parker, is God gives us certain predilections in our personality. And what I mean by that is I have always been drawn towards live performances by people who could make a great connection with the audience. So when I was a a boy of only about probably seven or eight years old, I started listening to stand-up comedy routines that were appropriate for my age from Bill Cosby and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I was just riveted by the fact that they, that that one man could stand on stage in front of, you know, hundreds or thousands of people and build such connection with them by telling stories, right? Mainly about his family, you know, in in a funny and endearing way that made people laugh. So I started memorizing those stand-up comedy routines. Probably about age nine, I think it was, I, my dad actually encouraged me to get up in front of our family and two or three other families that had all gathered at one of our houses and perform one of these comedy routines. And so I did. That was kind of the seminal moment, I think, because I watched how all the people, the kids that were my age, as well as the adults in their 40s and 50s, were rolling in the aisles laughing. <laughs> and it, I've never forgotten it. Now, how much of that is God given? It's it's the opportunities that God gives us that we sort of w- are drawn towards. And then I think what he follows up with, th- this is where I ascribe so much generosity to Jesus, is that he also sets before us several people, experiences, tools, information in the age of information where we can dive deeper into it. And so you ask about research and practice and you know, experience and all that. I see all of that as God given too. you know, okay. in hindsight, we don't see it that way when we're, when it's standing in front of us necessarily, but you're always able to look back and say, my goodness, the only reason I was able to perform so well in that particular situation was because of this thing that I went through, you know, six, seven years earlier. And I never had made the connection of how important that was at the time. The military has been like that for me. Uh, golly, I can, to this day, I've been out of the service for over 10 years now, but I'm still applying stuff and dealing with things and thinking about things from how I learned to do it in the military. And, and what comes to mind, too, is just drive, maybe. Like, it's cool, too, how much we have in common because I was drawn to live performances, too, and I still am, like, with musicians, comedians, just anyone who could have that connection with an audience. The coolest feeling in the world when I'm on stage in front of thousands of people and I'm doing something and I'm seeing their jaws drop and as they <laughs> stand in amazement wondering how the heck I even do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've been drawn to that stuff too. So that's kind of cool to see that similarity there. But a lot of it was just drive and passion and motive to keep going and to keep learning, which is pretty, yeah, pretty those, awesome. Those things are eternal, eternal qualities about you. When, when you see, hear, or experience something and you start to develop an appetite for it to where you want to keep going back to it and experiencing it more, those are the echoes of eternity coming out of your soul saying this is this is a clue follow this dig more into it find out more about it because we're we're using such limited amounts of our brain power it's difficult for us to perceive but very often that's telling you something about yourself it's telling you about your destiny and your and your destiny may not you know the the, the sad part is this is planet earth and it's fallen and it's broken so we not all of us necessarily get to reach the promised land this side of eternity but there is a life yet to come. In that life, there truly will be no limits. So, you know, 
I'm pursuing a business right now that I'm hoping will become a very successful one. But I'm also aware of the fact that, um, you know, there can be a lot of roadblocks to that and no one knows when his, when he's going to take his last breath. And so I have to be, I have to be equally surrendered to the possibility that I end up not truly getting to pursue the fullness of my calling until I'm, you know, resurrected and, and living in the, in the great restoration. I love that. I mean, I'm personally, I believe in God and I have this testimony that we are given callings, that we are blessed with like and unique gifts and interests and things like that. But I love what you said about when you notice those things that you're drawn to, that's a clue to tell you what your what your calling is and to lead you and guide you in the right direction. I've never really thought of it that way before. Uh, and mm-hmm. with this podcast, a lot of it is addressed towards people who I think are trying to figure out what it is they're passionate about and what it is they're they're wanting to do with their life. And that's a really big piece of advice, I think, for for everyone. Like if you take the time to notice what you're being drawn to and what you develop an appetite for, that's that's a clue. That's <laughs> that's a hint that you're headed in the right direction or you got closer to something that you should be doing more of. Let me go one step further on that, Parker, because this is it took me 10 years between understanding what you just reflected back to me and then understanding a, a deeper truth about this. So I'm going to shorten the time for the benefit of your listeners and say, there's another aspect to this, which is that you hear these echoes in your soul telling you, this is what you were made for. This is what you're made for. When you zoom out to 30,000 feet and look at this, what you need to understand is there's the mythic and then there's the specific. I heard this clear as a bell in 2009. Right. I was out of the military. I was full time at Pacific Lutheran University. I had the G- new GI Bill pay. They were paying full scholarship ride. I was getting a, a salary to go to college, really. And and I had found they PLU. They said, you, you have to do an internship or we won't you won't graduate. And I'm like, fine. And I went and got an internship in the, the major radio stations here in Seattle. So I went and worked in Cairo FM and KVI AM, and I was into talk radio and politics and all that. And I have found what I want to do. I want to be on the radio. I've got this voice, and I, I love to talk about issues and discuss things, and, and I love announcing and doing characters and voice impressions and all that kind of thing. I thought for sure, yeah, my job, my, my calling is radio talk show host. Except it wasn't. (laughs) And I actually spent many of the years that I was in the insurance business quite bitter and resentful at God because nothing that I tried with getting into radio worked. It all fell apart. I tried doing podcasting. That was quite a bit more primitive animal back then and couldn't make it grow, didn't know how to network, didn't know how to build relationships. So I couldn't go out there and I didn't know how to make it grow other than to create content and put it on the internet so that nobody would listen to it. I was too far away from Seattle where I live and too far away from Portland to be near enough to a major market for it to make sense to apply for a job where I wouldn't spend my life on the road um, to and from, you know, work and being away from my family. So I I kind of had to take a, a long, circuitous route, but one which was immensely beneficial in terms of teaching me about the power of uh, human relationships. So I say all that to say there's the mythic, right? The mythic is the is kind of the umbrella 
the overarching calling of your life. And I, in my case, I call it communicator, right? My mythic calling is communicator, but that has several different specific applications. You could be a radio talk show host, or you could be an editor at a magazine, or you could be a, a traveling spokesman. You could be a politician. You could any number of things that you could end up doing. You could be a teacher, a professor. I mean, it's just, I hope I'm drawing a, a painting a clear picture here for you, but what you're hearing may not always be exactly what you're doing right at the moment. It may just be a clue to something far beyond what you can imagine right now as it was for me. I thought it was, you know, be on the radio running my running my mouth. It turned out to be far more widespread and deeply influential with a lot of people. Once I learned how to build relationships and add value and form strategic partnerships and and uh, and all the things that I'm doing today. In my head I was like, okay, so it's like finding your major and then your emphasis and then there's even more specific of an emphasis that you got to dig and dig and dig and get into is that kind of a yes, good way and, to... it, and it's not a linear progression but it is an ascending spiral if i can use a couple of geometric uh illustrations here the linear progression makes you think okay i just go from one step to the next step to the next step and actually what you're going to end up doing is most likely at least everyone i've ever talked to who's been successful has described it in similar ways you're on an ascending spiral. So you are improving and you are getting better and you are getting smarter and working more effectively and learning valuable skills. But many times, as it was for me being in a, in a, in the insurance business, you seem to be going round and round in circles, right? In a job that, ha that really doesn't seem to have a whole lot to do with your calling. So yeah, I mean, you're, you go through stages, you go through seasons and a lot of them won't look like or seem like the Lord is is opening the door for you to go to the promised land. But they but he actually is leading you there. He's just he just prefers taking the long way home. Yeah. And one thing I like to ask guests about on the show is their roadblocks. Uh, and you've kind of already touched on some of yours. Um, but you, you just said something I really liked too, that was, okay, so you took the longer route. It was a pretty big roadblock, but in hindsight, like you're super grateful for it. So kind of a lesson to learn there is find gratitude in your trials and in your roadblocks. Just know that it's something that will ultimately benefit you. Yeah, there's a passage um, in the book of Zechariah, which is one of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. And it's chapter 4, verse 10, and it says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. And what he's, what he's getting at there is when you are in the position where you're scrimping and scratching to try and earn a living, when, you are, when you're not even earning a living from your calling, or when your calling appears to be moribund or defunct, and in other words, it's, it's dead, don't despise that time. Don't become bitter and resentful and angry and sullen and, you know, like I did for, for, for quite some time internally. You know, I kept up a, a decent show on the outside, but I couldn't hide it, and people could sense it. So don't uh, don't despise the day of small beginnings. And I recorded actually <clears throat> just today. I recorded a uh, a solo podcast that's going to come out on my show on on Thursday. Actually, it, the other day I got a, a kind of a three point strategy, three simple rules to live by as you work towards the growth and prosperity of your business. And one of them is just simply preparation. So if you are you know just starting out, not making any money, not really sure where you're gonna, how you're gonna make this work because it's not a you know typical conventional 
way of earning a living. Um, you have to look at it as a season of preparation and you have to verbalize that. You have to say before you give a speech or give a talk or something like that, this is practice and I consecrate it as practice. This is just a practice. This is so I can get better and better and better until they will be banging my doors down, begging to pay me the money to come and speak. <laughs> That's you know? awesome. Because like, imagine, right? Imagine like, like, right, you wanted Grant Cardone now to come and speak at your at your conference. Mm-hmm. Like, like you knew if you could get him, let's say you had the money to pay his speaking fee and you knew you, if he, if he showed up, you would sell out that auditorium. You'd, you know, you'd make a million bucks in a night easily and his 50,000 speaking fee would be a drop in the bucket. Let's just say, for example, right. Mm-hmm. right? Well, you would bang on his door and email and call and, and, and harass him until you could get some, some kind of way to get him there, right? You'd say, I'll pay for the flight. I'll pay for the hotel. You'll eat at the five-star restaurant. Anything and everything you want, Mr. Cardone, if you'll come and speak for, for 30 minutes. Because you knew, right? All I got to do is get him here. And, and I've, made, I've made my income for, for three years, right? Yeah. That's, that's what people who perform at that caliber have every day. They have you know, hundreds, hundreds of people a day asking them to do that. The more you don't despise the day of small beginnings and regard each time you do it now as practice rep, practice rep, practice rep. Keep getting better. Keep reviewing what you did. Listen to the playback. Think about the moments where the audience seemed to be really responding. What did they do? Why did, what did I say there that really caught their attention, et cetera, et cetera. Just you sharpen it and you refine it and, and, it, and you become just an expert shooter, you know. And then that's when you start getting the big bucks. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty hyped right now just learning. If you could like leave one piece of content on the internet and that's the only piece of content on the internet that you could leave to share with, with people, what would, what would you make it about? Or if you, could, if you could just share one message with people, what would it be? <sighs> that's you know, hard. This is, a, this is one for the ages, actually, this kind of challenge, because... There's a lot of different things that I could leave to the world, but not so long ago, actually, I was uh, going through another wrestling match with self-doubt, mm-hmm. feeling like oh, another day is going by and I don't have an answer for the, the question, you know, did you, did you kill something and bring it home today? I turned to a presentation on YouTube between um, Stephen Furtick, who's the pastor of Elevation Church, and T.D. Jakes. Um, the famous preacher. T.D. Jakes has this book out called Crushing, which is a great book you should get. And I bought it and read it. And it's all about the fact that greatness never emerges from, you know, a life of ease. The people, the greatest people, the most successful people you look at, I don't care what profession or industry or uh, or sector of the world they're working in, they didn't get the, T.D. Jakes said, they, they didn't get there because they're cute. They got there because they were crushed. He uses the analogy of the uh, grapes being crushed to form wine, mm-hmm. you know, which is a great way of putting it. Toward the end of it, there was there's this part that touches a, a deep, a deeply tender place within me, and I I chose to copy it and and write it out as a Facebook post. And the response was huge uh, from people who knew me. And in fact, I had several people like actually send me instant messages or or even call me when I posted it. And I don't have it to hand, so I can't recite it word for word. But, but Jake says, uh, greatness always needs a friend. Greatness needs a soft place for someone to say, you know, I'm mad or 
I've got a word from God or, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed because sometimes being great isn't so great. Sometimes being great means giving everything you've got to people and letting them walk away with benefit while you walk away empty handed. Sometimes being great means serving people all day, walking away with a smile on your face, but you get into your car and go home and sit up till two or three o'clock in the morning wondering how you're going to make life work. Yeah. Greatness just, you know, there's greatness within each and every one of us. And so I'm not trying to say, look how great I am by how terribly I, I do sometimes. I'm saying anybody who's in touch with that that divine purpose for which they created is going to come across this without somebody there to be a soft landing place for them to simply release all of that internal chaos. Mm-hmm. It, it can go by the wayside and we don't want that, right? But the, the, the real purpose here is to make as many people as great as they possibly can because great lives have far less chaos, turmoil, envy, bitterness, hatred, lust, ven- vengeance, you know, all of the, all of the, the works of the flesh, as, as Galatians tells us, go by the wayside when, when, when you're having a really good life. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't just want this life for myself. I want it for everybody that I know and everybody that I care about and more besides. That's super deep <laughs> insight. I love it. I feel like that's a really good way to kind of wrap up these lessons and the more serious portion of the podcast. I kind of like to end a little more lighthearted. This is kind of a dramatic shift. Are you ready? <laughs> sure. Go okay. Okay. So bodybuilding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There we go. Versus speaking and entrepreneurship and, and the business side of things. Is there overlap between those two things and similarities or lessons that you're learning in both? Oh, more than you know, my friend, more than you can imagine. I, I will tell you um, there, in fact, I, I have tremendous respect for athletes of all sports and performers of all kinds of physical feats and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But bodybuilding, um, again, I go back to, I was a huge Arnold Schwarzenegger fan as a, as a boy. There was something that really rang out with me about seeing such muscularity on a man. And I'm not talking about the grotesque modern ones where they're just overloaded on steroids, but the the golden age of bodybuilding in the 1950s and 60s, which, yes, they did use some steroids, but for the most part, they achieved what they achieved just because they were really, really good at it, you know? Yeah. Um, I grew up seeing that physique and dreaming of being, of looking like that as a man. But early in my life, for a number of reasons, but early as, as early as age 14, 13, I began to put on weight and just kind of be flabby, right? Not, I wasn't obese, but I was just flabby. And I remained so until age 22, 21, 22. I lived with a mentor who taught me to control my eating habits and I lost a bunch of weight. And then I spent nearly a decade in the army and fitness became a way of life for me. And even into my 30s, but in my 30s, that began, my metabolism began to slow down and I started to put on weight again. By 37, I had had enough because I was, I was not sitting on the sofa eating potato chips and junk food all day. I was in the gym four to six nights a week and I was lifting heavy and doing bodybuilding routines. And, but I just kept adding, you know, I had a dad bod. And so <laughs> that was when Vince Del Monte came into my life and I've never looked back. I'm three years later almost. And, uh, I, I lost another 
had a huge 55 pound weight loss and 20, 15 percentage points of body fat and became lean and muscular and decided I was going to start competing to see if I could uh, if I could get on stage and sport a, a, a deep dark tan and uh, I, I do the physique competition so it's not I'm not in the the banana hammock uh, bikini briefs type of thing I'm in a, a pair of board <laughs> shorts but uh, you know nice little picture for your audience there um, the parallels are unbelievable because. Each time you get confronted with a new reality, a new weight amount that is too heavy for you or a rep count that's too many for you, or you've got to hit a pose and make it look natural and you're, you're tall and lanky and awkward like I am. There's a myriad of things. Uh, you know, you've got to overcome the fact that you eat decent food, but you still put on weight or that you, um, now I'm much leaner. I need to eat more carbohydrates, but I can't because I'm, I have a mild hypoglycemic tendency. So if I eat too many carbs, I crash. And if I don't even, if I don't eat enough, I get all shaky and, you know, like I'm going to pass out. You meet one challenge after another, you walk right through them and out the other side. And I competed in my first show in March. And, uh, luckily I was the only competitor in my category. So I defeated myself handily. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I won, you know, and, and I proved to myself and to the world and to everybody watching, I can do this. You know, I am not destined to be flabby and dad bod overweight. I, I can transform my body and I can, I can do it because I understand the principles of, of bringing yourself under a good coaching authority. I understand the principles of doing what that coach tells you to do and not deviating from the plan that they lay out for you. And much the same is true in entrepreneurship. You know, you get a good entrepreneur coach who teaches you valuable skills that help you to improve yourself as a business person. It's going to flow into your business and your business is going to start to get smarter and leaner and more profitable and less, less flab. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the, and and I could go into more of it than that, but I'll you know out of respect for the time limit, I I'll uh, I'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, and just real briefly, what would some quick advice be to to finding your mentor for anyone listening and for myself? Like a good way to reach out to mentors. Most mentors that I've ever had have never been as a result of those mentors reaching out to me and saying, "Let me mentor you." Mm -hmm. um, and what that what I mean by that is you have to go out and say, I, I'm, I, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm making mistakes and I'm not happy with the results and I need an extra set of eyes on this. Because the best mentors, Parker, are not going to really tell you what to do. They're going to tell you what you're doing now and how you might do it differently if it's not producing the results you want. What what Vince told me to do, yeah, he gave me a specific meal plan. He gave me specific ways to exercise the muscles. I was already eating nutritious food, and I was already exercising. He just told me to do it a different way. Yeah, because it's not what it's not what you do; it's how you do it that matters. So, you know, for example, if I'm coaching someone and they're telling me my my, my working day starts at seven o'clock, so I get up at at six fifteen, and that gives me just enough time to grab a cup of coffee, have a quick bite to eat and out the door and rush to work. And I'm usually a couple of minutes late. I'm going to say, okay, well, you're getting to work on time for the most part. Maybe we should look at this and, and see if there's a different way you could do this. Mm -hmm. And then this is a very primitive, simplistic example, but I'm just saying, you know, if you could get up 10 or 15 minutes earlier in the, in the age where everybody says, I don't have time for X, Y, Z, we have to ask ourselves, is that really true? And 
how are we arriving at that conclusion? Well, we're arriving at it because we're not thinking differently. If you're looking for a coach, if you're looking for a mentor, you have to come to the place, as I did, where you say, look, I try my best, but life is just not working out. Business is just not happening. I, the dream that I have is going by the wayside because I don't, I, I can't do it by myself. I need someone else to help me. I will do the, the work, but I can't step back and look at it objectively and say, job well done. I, I need someone else looking at the same thing I'm looking at and pointing out all the things that I, quite frankly, am blind to. And if you approach it with that attitude and then you, you know, then there's the other side of it. Don't just go and hire someone where you have no relationship. Yeah. Um, and you don't know diddly squat about them and don't rush into it. People who try to rush you into it, that they're, uh, I, I wouldn't do that. I would, I would say, first of all, let me do my research and let me have a conversation. And if, if you can just have a conversation and give me whatever time I need to, to consider this, then there's a good chance we might do business. But if you, if you've got to make a sale today, I don't want to do business with somebody like that because I'm, that's just, you know, that's the old way that's not working anymore. I love that. That's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, and just to kind of brief, briefly wrap up, I've got a few fun questions. Are you ready? Go for it. What is your favorite word? Not necessarily one you you say all the time, but just one that you really like or feel is important. I guess I have some that that come to to mind automatically. But can I include a name in that? Because it, you know, the sweetest sound to me these days is is God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. It's just that name. It, it means everything to me. Awesome. And favorite TV show? Oh boy! <laughs> if you if you even watch TV, I know I know a lot of people in this industry they don't spend time watching TV. I've stopped. I I I, I don't watch the news. I don't watch anything. I'm, I'm and I'm all the better for it, if you ask me. But uh, but I do I do enjoy watching reruns of The Office. I find that show <laughs> morbidly embarrassing and awkward to, to sit through. And for some reason, that just gives me a release. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite social network platform? Facebook um, has by far uh, been the most effective for me. The others are great. I use them, but um, I don't get anything like the kind of traction I get off of Facebook. Worst thing and best thing about money? The best thing is when money serves you and the worst is when you serve money. I love that. Awesome. Well, that's all I have, but I want to be sure to uh, plug your book here too. Where where can people find you and connect with you and where can people get your book? The best place to go is my website. It's the Paul S as in Simon Edwards.com. The Paul S Edwards.com. And for your listeners, Parker, um, all they have to do, we can we can do this several ways. The, the easiest way is to go and sign up for my mailing list. I'm not a spam email marketer, so you're not going to get 100 emails a week from me. <laughs> don't freak out about that. But if by chance you don't want to give your email, just reach out to me on Facebook or, or uh, LinkedIn or something like that, and I'll be happy to, to send you a free copy. But if you sign up on the website for the mailing list, you'll automatically get a, uh, an email that will give you a link to download a free digital copy for all of your listeners. So that's my gift to you, thepaulsedwards.com. And the book is called Business Beyond Business. Awesome. I'm excited. I'm going to go do that uh, and I'll be talking about it for sure. But ultimately, I just want to say thank you for connecting with me on LinkedIn and for carving out time uh, from your busy life to meet with me uh, on the phone a couple times and to do this podcast episode with me. I appreciate you very much. 
Parker, it was my pleasure. It was so great to be a part of your program. And I'm looking forward to uh, returning the favor and having you over on the Influencer Networking Secret Show one day. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love to. That would be exciting. I'll do some uh, beatboxing for you. <laughs> that would be, I, I think we could even, I could even update my, uh, my now sitting still YouTube channel with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on Upbeat. You have a good night. You too. Thanks, Parker. This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker Kerr. Subscribe at parkerk.co.